Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Uh, yeah, it's great to be up here again. I hope all of you guys are well. Um, it's been a while since I've been up here. I do announcements occasionally with Stacy, and I, I enjoy that. But I think if I was to pick um, my role in the church, it would be primarily one of Bible teacher and sort of, sort of a, a lead vision person. I, I can get mucked down into the finer details of what church, you know, running a church looks like, and I don't excel in those areas. But um, my draw is to, to read scripture and to try to take complicated um, ideas and make them simpler and easier to understand. My, my prayer for us this morning, um, which I was almost giggling backstage because Jared was praying the same thing. He's like, Lord, would you unlock the mysteries today? Did you hear him say that? He's like, we wanna know what the mysteries are. We wanna, like a door that's been locked. And I was praying this morning that a key would fit in a knob and it would open and we would step into a new reality, a new understanding of something that we've never had before. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, ah, I just came to church today. I didn't know that was gonna happen today. Well, I'm glad you're here because that is going to happen for many of us today. I just believe it. So I'm thankful to be back here. I took some time off um, the last few weeks, we've had guest speakers, and I primarily did that because I normally get the month of July off from preaching. I still work in my office, but I'll have guest speakers come in, and we do that one thing, you know, series or whatever. But when COVID hit this year, I didn't get a chance to do that. In fact, my work schedule just ramped up and ramped up and ramped up, and it got real busy for me. So the last few months, my wife lovingly said, why don't you just take a break? And, and I did, and so this is my first weekend back. So thank you for the applause. I'm glad to be back. It's wonderful. Um, but, but enough about me. So anyways, um, I would like to uh, read something out of the book of Joshua today. So I hope you brought your Bibles with you. Um, can I, I didn't know if I was going to say this or not. I'm going to say it anyways. I'm, ha I'm having a, a fight with my cell phone. Does anyone have a fight with your cell phone? Um, like I think it takes too much of my time. Who wants to admit that before God and all these witnesses that you spend too much time on your phone? All right. Lord, you see all the liars in the room? <laughs> You see them all, right? So I'm having a fight with my phone. So let me, let me just help you. I'll throw this out there by way of help. Um, here's an idea. <laughs> Here we go. Leave your phone in your car when you come to church, right? And, and bring your Bible in. Because I know many people are saying, I'm bringing my phone in so I can read my Bible stuff. Like I have the Bible app. Well, praise hallelujah to you. You got the Bible app. That's wonderful. And let me tell you what I lovingly noticed the last few weeks when I'm sitting in the second and third row behind people who are using their Bible app to read their Bible scriptures. Um, they read the Bible passage, then flip right to Facebook. See, someone's phone's ringing right now. <laughs> we'll wait. So anyways, but okay, all that to say, um, I'm going to read out of Joshua chapter five. If you brought a Bible with you, I encourage you bring a Bible with you. Make notes in it. How great would it be when you're long and gone, when you're six feet under and your grandkids are wrestling through the notes that you wrote in your Bible? What did grandma mean when she questioned this? What did grandpa mean? So write in your Bible, bring your Bible. Anyways, we're going to put words on the screen for us if you can follow along there. But I want to read Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, and then we'll dive into what I want to talk about today. Verse 1 says this, as soon as 
uh, all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all of the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. He said, all of the males of the people who came up out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come up out of Egypt. Verse five says, though all of the people who came up out had been circumcised, yet all of the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come up out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So there's two groups, some circumcised, some not some circumcised. We'll get to that in a minute. For the people of Israel walked for 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came up out of Egypt perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Verse eight. Now when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place, places in the camp until they were all healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place today is called Gilgal to this day. And I have a footnote in my Bible that says that Gilgal, it sounds like the Hebrew word for to roll or to roll away. So this is the text for today. And, and if you're like me, you probably have a few questions, <laughs> right? So if you just give me a moment, I just want to pray one more time. And if you're thinking, man, they pray an awful lot in this church. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Anyway, so let's pray together. So God, thank you for our time together. Would you help us to see the mysteries hidden here? Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come and you'd speak to each one of us individually, that there's a specific message that you have for us. And God, we ask for it. We ask that you give it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a lot of questions in regards to the text. Um, I didn't count them, but there's a number of times that the text says the word circumcise or circumcision. And if you're visiting with us, that's a strange word to hear, right, in church some days. In fact, let's think about it for a moment. We have communion Sunday, baptism Sunday. <laughs> Why not circumcision Sunday? <laughs> no, I'm just, anyways. But it, it mattered to God, at least that's the picture we're getting in, in this text, that it somehow mattered to God. But there's a reason why. Now here, here I want you to know, of all the questions that popped up when I was reading this text, one of them snuck to the top. Uh, by way of backstory, I'd been studying this text seven months ago. We had started a study in the book of Joshua at the, at the turn of the year. If you remember, we just came upstairs here in the new space in March, had two services, and then COVID struck, and we had to go home for seven months or six months or whatever it was. So seven months ago, after having read that passage, I wrote in my notepad this question, what would you do if you knew that you would not fail in doing it? What's the one thing that you would do if you knew that when you did it, you would 100% succeed? 
Now, when I wrote that in my notebook seven months ago, it seemed profound to me. So when I ran across it like a few days ago, I had no idea what I, what I was meaning by that. I had no idea what I, I was trying to think about. What was so, so great in this passage that made me think that you could do anything if you would know you would succeed. And, and after reading and praying and studying, I think I ran into it again. Let me give you a little bit of backstory on what's happening right here when Joshua is asked by God to circumcise the people. To know who these people are, we have to go way back in our Bible to the book of Genesis where God calls a man named Abraham out of his land and pulls him into something brand new. Abraham is called the father of our faith. God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and says something like this, paraphrase. Listen, Abraham, I'm calling you into something. You're going to be a great nation. All of your descendants will be a multitude of nations. I'm choosing you to be my people, and I'm asking you to circumcise yourself as a mark of that covenant relationship. So that's kind of what's working here. So the promise of God is that he's going to take Abraham and his descendants into this land of promise, and that's what we're holding to. But at some point many generations ago before this story, a famine sweeps across the land where God's people were living. To save their lives, they migrated south into a country called Egypt where they found food and God providentially provided for them, right? And he fed them and he kept them and the people of God began to flourish in this nation called Egypt, which was still far away from the promises of God. At some point, a king in Egypt, Pharaoh is his name, he began to realize that the Egyptian people were, were flourishing so well, he was concerned that if they were to raise an insurrection against him, if the men in Israel were to raise up and battle against the Egyptians, that they would be overthrown. So in a preemptive strike, he enslaved the Hebrew people. He enslaved God's people. He made them work seven days a week, hoping to tire them out so much that they would quit having children. That didn't work. So they kept having children. Then he said this, if any of the Hebrew women give birth to boys, they must drown them in the River Nile. Torturous um, circumstances that the Hebrew people found themselves in. For decades and generations after generation, God's people lived in this deplorable situation and they cried out for God continually. One day God heard their cries and sent a deliverer, a rescuer to get them out of that place. A man named Moses, maybe some of you have heard of Moses. Moses takes God's people out of Egypt and starts marching them all the way to the promised land. At some point, backstory, 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 God um, tells Moses he's not going to go into the promised land, so he installs a new leader. That leader's name is Joshua, and this is the story of Joshua that we're reading right now. So Moses dies in the desert, and eventually Joshua takes his people across the river. If you were back here in March, we talked about the, uh, God stopping up the River Jordan when the, the river was in flood stage, and all two million people or whatever it was of the Israelites, they crossed over on dry ground and now find themselves encamped for the first time in over 400 plus years in the promises of God. They have arrived. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking to yourself, if God can do this, if he can drop his mighty hand and stop a flooded river from coming down to allow us to cross over, then we can do anything. Hence the question, if you knew that you would succeed in anything that you set your hand to do, what would you do? Here's the place where God's people find themselves in. God, in his strength and his power, has delivered us into this land. Yes, there are Amorites there. Yes, there are Canaanites there. But God is going to push them out so that we can have our, our promised land, right? So all they need to do is just go battle those people, go push them out of the land, and they can have it all. 
But then God comes to Joshua and says, Psst, I want you to circumcise everyone. Now think about this. This is going to incapacitate the men for a minimum of a week or better. So as Israel is encamping there that first night, probably setting sentries around the posts of the camp, making sure that no one comes to attack them, God says, oh, by the way, tomorrow we get up and circumcise everybody. If there's ever an opportunity for a neighboring nation to war against them and defeat Israel, it will be after all of the men have been circumcised. Is anyone feeling my pain here? <laughs> right? Men in the room? Anyone? Okay? So that's this point. And the Bible tells us at no point do they complain or grumble against the command of God. When Joshua comes and says, I'm gonna circumcise all of you, they're like, okay, and why is that? Because they knew that whatever they were going to do, that they would succeed in it. God had settled this a long time ago when he had promised it to Abraham. It was finished at that moment. Now the people of God just have to walk into it. There should be no lack of faith, no lack of, uh, or, or disbelief in any of those things. They just needed to obey God and walk into it. And it says that they did. They walked into the promises of God. They, they allowed themselves to be circumcised, if you will. So not only was God concerned that they understood their future, held success for them, but God had another part, another story to tell them. He wanted to remind them of something, and this is what I think would maybe unlock a mystery for us today. Is that he wanted to remind his people that they were in fact chosen by him. And that the mark of circumcision is that mark. He wanted to remind them that you're mine. I'm yours, you're mine. You belong to me. And they haven't been circumcising the children for 40 years as they wandered in the desert. And the first thing he wants to establish is that you belong to me. This is a reminder for his people. And so they say okay to it. For the Jews, circumcision was a mark of the covenant, making them, marking them rather, as God's chosen people. For some reason, for the 40 years that they wandered through the desert, they had stopped circumcising their boys, their baby boys. We don't know why. Some commentators think that it was possibly a judgment of God. Who knows? But for whatever reason, for 40 years, they had not been circumcised. But the author of this book, Joshua's book here, wants us to see an, an ironic telling in this story. Follow with me in verse 5, real quick. It says, verse 5, that though all of the people came out of Egypt had been circumcised. So all of the people that Moses had gathered together some years before, right? All those people who cried out for rescue, right? For, to be delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians. They had all been circumcised. And so God brings Moses to bring them out. But they didn't get into the promised land. All of the men that had been with Moses when they left the promised land could not enter the promised land. And yet, ironically, verse 7, it says, it was their children whom God raised up in their place that could enter into the promised land. Jeff, what does all this mean? I'm glad you asked. I want you to pause and consider this for a moment. There are people who had the marks, the mark of being chosen as God's people, but did not have the actions. And what do I mean by actions? Verse six tells us why the people did not enter the promised land. Verse six says this, I'll read it out. For the people of Israel walked for 40 years in the wilderness. Those who had been circumcised walked for 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, all the men of war who had been circumcised came out until they died, until they perished. And why did they have to die in the desert? Because, it, because right here we learn, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. See, what we have to understand 
is 40 years ago, before Joshua takes God's people over the Jordan River, God's people had already been to this place before. God, as soon as he brings all of them out of Egypt, he, he ushers them straight to almost the Jordan River and says, just on the other side is your promised land. Go and take it. And they were fearful to go in there. They sent some spies in. Some of you know this story. The spies came back and persuaded the rest of God's people to think that they could never win if they went over to fight those people. And because of their disbelief, because of their lack of faith, God sent them back into the wilderness to wander until all of them had died. Think about that. The people who have the mark of being chosen by God perish in the wilderness. Why? Because they did not have the faith to believe. It's like this. You can have all of the actions of God's people, and if you do not have the faith, then you cannot have the promises of God. Think about that for a moment. This is exactly what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying when he's writing to Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul picks up this language of the Israelites in the desert, speaking to Christians in Corinth, warning them about religious works, warning them about looking like people of God, but not believing like people of God. Do you know the people I'm talking about? Are, are any of you here? Right? where you have the bumper sticker, the merch, the Hobby Lobby art, the coffee mugs. You have all the things that if anyone was looking into your life, you're like, that person believes, and yet you lack the faith. Anyone else want to raise their hand? I'll be the only one. That's fine. Let me lead by example. Yes, this is us sometimes. We have all the, the outward appearance of religious people, but inside we don't have the faith or the belief. And the story will tell you that those people us people, we don't enter into God's promises that way. Paul, knowing this, writing to the Corinthians, says, I don't want you to be unaware of these things. Verse 1, chapter 10. I don't want you to be unaware of these things, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. This is the story of Moses taking the people through the Red Sea as they left Egypt. And they passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3, and they all ate the same spiritual food. You guys know the story of manna, where God made bread fall from heaven and fed all of the people for 40 years. And they all drank the same spiritual drink, the drink from water, a spiritual rock that followed them, the rock that was Jesus Christ. Long story short, we'll get into that. But they had supernatural provision on their way. Nevertheless, verse 5, it says, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. God, in fact, um, if I could be so bold, cares less about what you look like in the coffee mug verses you have and the bumper stickers on your car and all of those things. But he cares more about the faith that propels your life. He cares more about the things that really motivate who you are that drive the way you parent your children and the way you work at your employer. I mean, the things that are inside of you, that's the things, the, the thing rather that God cares most about. And I find it ironic that those people who had the mark of belonging to God did not enter into the promise, but the ones who did not got to. The children had been raised up. They're the ones who get to go in. And so God says to them, I want you to mark them too. 
They have the faith to believe. I want to mark them, and I want them to come in. God swore to them two different times. Read this with me in verse 5. Sorry, verse 6. Uh-oh, I lost my place. Verse 6, it says, The people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness, and the men of war who came out of Egypt perished. Why? Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. We got that. They did not cross the river Jordan the first time they had an opportunity to. And this is what the writer says here. And the Lord swore to them that they would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. There's two words that's repeated, swore. It's like bookends to this verse. The Lord swore to the fathers that he would, sorry, the Lord swore to them they would not inherit the land that he had sworn to give their fathers. It almost feel like, feels like God has made two oaths here. And the question we have to wrestle with is, is the new oath, the oath that God says, you're not going into the promised land, is it going to overthrow the old oath, which says, I'm going to give this land to your forefathers? You know, is, is that going to negate the one? And the, and the simple answer is no, it's not. Ultimately, God's promises are fulfilled with or without human belief, okay? With or without whether or not we worship him, with or without we call him glorious, with, whether or not we, we bow to him, he is worthy to be worshiped, yes? With or without those types of things. So God's promises in all things are going to be fulfilled whether you and I believe it or not. But for the one generation who lacked the belief, they missed the opportunity. God's promises are not thwarted whether you believe them or not. <laughs> In the, in the book of beginnings, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and the, the, the serpent, Satan, came and tempted them, to, tempted them to disobey God and sin entered into the world, God immediately moves with a promise of a savior. And he says, I will deal with Satan. Uh, I will deal with sin uh, and I will rescue my people and I will restore relationship with them and I will do so my way. I will send a Messiah, a savior to come. To come. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the promise for all of mankind, that we can, we can be saved from our own sin, that we can be saved from um, eternal damnation, if you will. We can have eternal life with God, but it is only one way. And it happens through our belief or not, right? We believe in him, we get eternal life. If we don't believe in him, we cannot have it. But it exists for us. And the mystery in this passage is that that generation, because of their lack of belief, died in the wilderness, died in the desert. Ladies and gentlemen, this, the, the 80 years you get to spin around on this rock, if we're lucky, is our wilderness. It's the moment we get to choose to believe or not to believe. This doorway's been open to all of us. If we read that really famous passage, John chapter three, verse 16, God says, uh, John says, for God so loved the world. Who? The world, everyone in the world. And that anyone who would believe in his son Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the, the promised one from Genesis, right? If anyone would believe in him, that they would not perish but have eternal life. And what's the, what's the, the critical part, part there? It's believe. They had the lack of belief, so God allowed them to die in the desert. And the same would be true for us. If we lack the belief, then we will die in this desert, so to speak, and not enter into eternal life. Which I think... Um, which I think is why I find Christianity so compelling. 
I mean, if we're to stack up all of the different religions next to Christianity, which some people like to do, and they're all about the same thing, right? We all serve the same God, blah, blah, blah. Not true. <laughs> Just so you know, almost all of the other religions, whether it be Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, you know, the cults, that, that thing is, and I can get into that a whole other time, or world religions like Islam, Buddhism, Sikhism, all those things, all of those are works-related religions, that you somehow earn your righteousness. Islam says if you do enough good deeds, you will earn a place into heaven. Aren't you so thankful that Christianity is not built on what you do? <laughs> it's not based on what you do. It's only based on whether you believe or not. Whether you believe. And so this is, this is I just hopped. That was weird. Uh, this is, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> this is, I've always wanted to be a dancer. <laughs> this, this, this was my prayer this morning, is that the eyes of those people who are caught up in religious works would be opened, that they would re realize that those things are bankrupt to save them. The thing God's looking for is belief. It's faith. Paul tells us we are saved by grace through faith. And, and even there, God gives us all of that stuff. So I'm asking the Lord to open our eyes to see this. Moving on. Joshua chapter 5 verse 9 has an interesting statement. But it said, the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And I'll sort of wind down here. I'm out of time. Although I feel like I could go another hour. I'm just saying. This is really good. It says, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so that place was called Gilgal, which I've already said the Hebrew word um, Gilgal sounds like to roll, to roll with it, whatever. So what is the reproach of Egypt? That's the question. If God is removing something from them, what exactly is he removing? It, it is uh, that we know this um, is we don't know this. <laughs> we don't know what the reproach of Egypt is. The Bible doesn't tell us what it is. Now, many smart people, smarter than me, have tried to think about it, and we could throw out a couple opinions or, or theories about what it is, and let's do that real quick. It's possible the reproach of Egypt was this, that when the people of Israel were in Egypt for 400 plus years, that they truly had become indoctrinated into the ways of the Egyptians, which just meant this. They were living like their culture around them. And looking, they didn't look like God's people. They didn't act like God's people. They looked just like everybody else in their world. And in this moment, when they're crossing over the Jordan River and they set up the 12 memorial stones and then they get circumcised, God is reminding them of something. I'm rolling the reproach of Egypt away from you. Is it possible that he was removing all that cultural influence in their life? Probably, maybe, possibly, I don't know. Another theory is this, that it's quite possible that when they were wandering in the desert for some 40 plus years, the other nations were mocking them. You, your God sucks. You, you said your God was gonna deliver you out of Egypt, take you into a promised land, and I, I don't see that happening. Your God is weak and petty, Right? It's quite possible that they were, sh they were embarrassed or that God wanted to remind them that his strength was there. That, that maybe that's the reproach of Egypt. Maybe that's what it was. Another theory says this, that maybe they were um, ashamed because of the ways they acted. If you know the story of God's people in the wilderness, that many times God would come to them in great power and might, and they, they failed him. 
when Moses goes up the mountain to commune with God and bring down the Ten Commandments, they found themselves worshiping a golden calf. They had left God. They'd forsaken their God. And maybe there was just some shame in the ways that they had lived before. Now, all of a sudden, God is pulling them into a newness of life. And he says, I want to roll away your shame. Maybe that's what it is. And if I get to pick, eh, I'm speaking, I get to pick. Let's go with number three, shall we? For this reason, that there are so many people who even walking into church on a Sunday feel shame. You just feel sorrow because last week didn't go the way you planned it. See, when you, if you're like me, I'll go first. When you leave church on Sunday, you're like, Rah, go Jesus, go everything God in my life, go, go, go. But by Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, you just sort of get beat down. And by the weekend, <laughs> you'd be hard pressed to know I'm a Christian, right? Some of you, anyone. I had no idea I pastored a holy church. I had no idea. You guys are impeccable. No, maybe it's not our actions, it's our thoughts. Maybe we're constantly fraught with anxiety and worry. And when it comes to the tussle between belief and trust, anxiety seems to win most weeks. Worry seems to win most weeks. So for God's people at this moment, he rolls away their reproach, call it shame. And he says, you're no longer those people. I'm going to mark you. Hey, sharpen up a rock. We're going to circumcise some people. <laughs> Complete side note, they had metal tools back then. Why a rock? I have no idea, right? That's just me wrestling with things. Why a flint knife? Can't we use something? Anyways, moving on. So I'm going to roll away your shame. I love how the New Living Translation translates that. Today is the day I rolled away your shame. That's what God does every week when people come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you were to read into the New Testament, every biography about Jesus' life, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, till the end of the story where Jesus was, um, where Jesus gave his life on a cross for our sins. Where he hung there, he breathed his last, he said these words, it is finished. They took down his broken and bloodied body and they placed that body in a tomb. For three days, the tomb laid uh, barricaded, blocked, if you will. And every gospel tells us that on the morning of the third day, a group of people went to the tomb and they saw that the stone in front of the tomb had been what? Had been rolled away. And why is that important to us? Because in, in the peering in of the tomb, we see that Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who gave his life, sacrificed his life for us, that God had accepted his sacrifice and Jesus' dead body was no longer there. The angels tell the women that Jesus is not among the dead, he is among the living. And the stone has been rolled away so that you can see it. So that you can look in and see that your shame has been removed by what Jesus has done. 
that your reproach to God has been rolled away, has been taken away by what Jesus has done. We peer into the tomb every Sunday, not just on Sunday, Easter Sunday, to remind ourselves that we have been chosen by God and by faith to believe we have, been, we have our uh, relationship with him restored. And no longer do we live a remorse-filled, sorrow-filled life. Paul says our lives are to be marked with joy. The mystery in this passage for me is that um, some 24 years ago, God thought it in his great providence a good idea to save me on an Easter Sunday in 1996. And for some of you, it might be today in his great providence that you come here to hear a message of hope it's that this relationship's not works. You can't earn it. You can't try hard enough that God does it. So I asked the question that I opened with, what would you do if you knew you wouldn't fail? <laughs> what would you do if you knew God, the God of the universe, the creator of everything has chosen you, has saved you, and is pulling you into something you couldn't, you couldn't fathom or imagine? If you could see what I see, um, I have a huge clock right in front of me that tells me I've now gone over three minutes and 25, 26, 27 seconds. Like they're telling me, shut up. Next. <laughs> Go to the next song. Um, I just feel like I can't leave. I feel like there's one more thing I got to say. I'm just waiting to, to see if the Lord will tell me what it is. Okay, um, this is what I think the Lord would say, that he's not done. He's not finished, right? So whatever that might mean, we have to then go with Holy Spirit to figure out what that is. For some of you, it's relational. For some of you, it's like it's, a, it's husband and wife type situation. It's a, something that's like, it's like gnarly. I don't know what it is, but it's something. And the Lord would say, I'm not finished yet. Um, for some with uh, adult children who have gone uh, wayward or astray, and this has been a point of prayer and contention for you and the Lord for many years, because you have, you have said out loud publicly to others that you raised them better than that. You've raised them better than that. And they are not serving the Lord. They're doing whatever. The Lord is saying, I'm not finished. Ooh. And here's a beauty. If he's not finished, why should we be? Hmm. Okay. He, uh, he has rolled away 
their shame. He has rolled away their reproach. And they entered into their future with him. So I pray that for all of us today. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, what a great story we have today in this. What a great reminder that you are a God who chooses, who's active. You're not some far away God doing far away things, but you're in, in fact uh, intimately involved in our lives. You're involved in our lives through Jesus Christ, your son. So we pray, Lord God, that, that our worship, our response to the message today would be one of hope, adoration, and worship to your son Jesus, thanking him for everything that he has done for us. God, I pray that this church would be known for its faith in Jesus Christ, not just for our merch, not just for our bumper stickers and all that stuff, but we would be a people who believe the promises of God. That we would be people that would walk into our future believing that we can do anything if you are with us and that we could not fail. God, strengthen our faith. Bolster our hope in you. God, minister to the sorrowful. Remind them that in Jesus Christ, decisions in the past can be wiped away. Actions from our past can be wiped away. That you have offered us a clean slate, a newness of life. May we respond as people who believe it, Lord. God, thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.